0: We're going to get back into the the series that I started here. Uh, This particular session I'm calling Maintaining Unity. Uh, But Before we do, I want to pray for us uh, that God would help us during our time together. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to be a church that helps each other to grow in maturity. As a church, we would become A strong church, a healthy church, a growing church, a church that might communicate to our community that the church is the dearest place on earth. Lord, you've done the work in salvation to bring us into a relationship with you by reconciling us to you through Christ. And you have created this body, this family, From diverse backgrounds I pray Lord that as a family we would grow in unity in peace and in maturity Lord to do that we need your spirit's help Lord we need your spirit in our minds and in our hearts to change the way that we think and change the way that we feel Pray Lord, that as we open up this section of Scripture, uh, that you would reveal a kind of truth to us that would captivate our hearts, that would have us long for the description to be true of us at Keystone, and that it would convict and encourage us to become more and more and more like Christ. Lord I'm confident that you're going to speak to us through your word. I ask Lord that you would help me to speak um, words of truth and you would help us as a church to hear with ears ready to put into practice. So lead us here in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We were in Ephesians 2 last week. uh, Ephesians 4 this week. We'll start in verse 1. And we'll read through verse 16. So here we go. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called into one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord and one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his church uh, head of his body, the church he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love What I want to do this morning is to, in some ways, figure out how can we become the kind of church that Paul is describing in Ephesians chapter 2. Last week I said that Paul has a vision for what the church is to be, this one united family. This is a passage that I feel like is helping us to grasp what we ought to do as the church to become that people. I'll break us up into um, three different categories to figure out uh, what does it say, what does it mean, why does it matter, but I'll use the categories of what are the first ingredient or what are the instructions, first step, what are the instructions that Paul gives? Paul begins this section of Ephesians chapter 3 uh, uh, similarly to how he begins uh, Romans chapter 12. I often use this as an illustration that in some ways Ephesians um, is broken up into two parts. The first half very gospel oriented, very truth information oriented. Uh, the second half verses, or chapters 4 through 6 are, are a lot of instructions for the church or implications for the church. Romans is like that as well. Romans 1 through 11 very gospel oriented want to learn what the indicative truths are. And then it moves into the imperatives, the statements. And so Paul begins similar. He says, therefore, I beg you. And then here's the command. Lead a life worthy of your calling. Paul is saying, if you want to become the church that God has created you to be, here's my instruction for you. Lead a life worthy. As individuals, lead a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Okay, so we have to think, what what does a worthy calling look like? Which is a good question to ask. Some of your versions might say, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Well, he goes on. He describes some commands. You can see them up there. Be humble. Remember the gospel? Remember in in light of everything I got done telling you about how we are saved by grace alone? One way that you should lead a worthy life is to be humble. And so I'm charging the church this morning. Church, we need to be humble. We need to be gentle with one another. If we want to become more of the family that interacts in love, be humble Be gentle, be patient with one another. If we grasp the truth of the gospel, or Paul might say, therefore, in light of all of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's Romans 12. Therefore, in light of how I describe the formation of the church, being saved and shaped by grace. Bringing together and welcoming outsiders from every background, near and far, bring them to God. Now, part of one family. To live a life worthy of the calling we've received, be humble, be gentle, be patient with one another. It might be helpful to maybe think about the commands in the opposite way, or to say something like this: Don't be proud. At Keystone, we can't be. If we want to become the church God wants us to be, we can't be proud. We can't be harsh with one another if we want to be family. We can't be impatient if we realize that change takes time. Paul's instructions for the church to become the church he desires us to be, he says, lead a life worthy of your calling. Now, some of us will get a little uncomfortable with these commands because I just said, be humble, be gentle be this, be that. There are a lot of commands that flow from it. And I want to say it's not legalistic to come after the gospel with instructions for how we ought to live on the other side of grace. Now, if I came to you and said these are the five things you need to do to make God happy with you, and if you can do these five things, follow these commands perfectly, then you will earn God's favor, you should have me fired because that's not the gospel. We receive grace first. And as a result of that grace, as a result of what God has done for us, then we should live certain lives. And so this is an invitation to live in light of the truths of the gospel. Now Paul is going to give us uh, a hint towards two ingredients that will help us to lead this worthy life. Uh, the first ingredient is this. He has given every believer spiritual gifts. Paul is reminding us that when we come to Christ, God gives us, God gives every believer spiritual gifts. He says it here. He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That means that if you are a believer, you have special gifts that are unique to you. In some ways, like a body has many different members Each member has a unique gift and ability. Your hands can do things that your feet can't. Why? Your hand has an opposable thumb. It has a little bit of a unique ability that your feet don't have. Your knees can do something that your, uh, I'm I'm guessing uh, your neck can't do, I think. I don't know. What I'm saying is your body parts have different functions and different purposes. And so if you are a believer, you should know what your gifts are. Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know how God has made you unique? Because those unique ways that God has gifted you are to be used to fill this universe with God's spirit. The spirit that's in you is better than having Jesus beside you is one of the ways that I phrased it in years past. Which would be better, do you think? Which would you rather have, Jesus beside you or his spirit inside you? Having the spirit inside you is far better because Jesus says it's far better. And so as a church, one of the ways that we become this healthy, growing church is when every individual member realizes its giftedness and is using those gifts the benefit of the church. The second gift that Paul reminds us of, he says this, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. So just as every believer is given spiritual gifts, every church is given leaders. Gives the leaders here, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. The church is given a gift of Leadership. And this gift has a responsibility as well. What's their responsibility? How ought the church use its leaders? Verse 12 The responsibility of these leaders is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. One of the ways that Keystone is going to become the healthy, mature church is if every body part is doing its part and if every leader is doing what God has called the leader to do, that is mainly equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, depending upon which church you've been a part of in your past, you might be thinking, "Mm, Brandon, that's not true. Uh, I was at a church uh, and the the pastor did everything there. Uh, The pastor folded the bulletins, Uh, The pastor visited everyone who was sick. Uh, The pastor prayed every prayer. He was at every event. He was serving. He did everything. He was doing what a pastor should do. He should be doing the work of ministry. I would say if that's the kind of church that you were a part of, it's an unbiblical model. Particularly if it's excusing the church from doing the work of ministry. Because what's the implication out of this passage? The implication is that every believer in a church is a minister of the church. Who's doing the work in verse 12? Well, the leaders are working. But their job, their responsibility is to equip the church for work of ministry. Who's doing the work? The church. The implication out of this God calls every believer to do his work. If you're a believer, you have been called. You might not have a seminary degree. You might not have a title. You might not be on staff at a church or in any capacity, but God calls every believer to do his work, which means every disciple is a disciple maker. Every disciple, you would call yourself a disciple, every disciple is a disciple maker. And Keystone is going to grow as a healthy church when everybody is using its gifts, where the leadership is equipping others for the work of ministry, and then the whole body, working properly together, is helping each other to grow in maturity and faith. This is going to happen for a while. And the Keystone staff is thinking, what can we do as staff to help others to grow to a point where they're not just disciples but who are disciples that are making disciples if we take that implication that every believer every disciple is a disciple maker and it's our job as staff to figure out how we can equip the saints for work of ministry we were asking the question well how can we make disciples who make disciples One of the exercises that we did to staff is we went around and we asked each other, what were the big areas in your life that helped you to grow in maturity? At a staff meeting a couple months ago, we asked, "What, what happened in your life to help you grow into maturity, to grow strong, to grow healthy? And as everyone in staff shared, they kind of fit into one of these five broad categories. Some of the people on staff referred to the kind of biblical teaching they'd received. And they talked about sermons that they heard. They talked about books that they had read, podcasts that they had listened to, articles that they've read. And they talked about how they grew in their faith um, because of biblical teaching, understanding the word of God and how it shaped every area of their life. Other people referenced just the fact that their own spiritual disciplines has been the biggest um, marker of growth in their life, producer of growth in their life. I remember when I was in my membership interview with Pastor Keith and the other elders. Uh, I was 22 years old uh, just out of college and I'm in awe of how much of the Bible Pastor Keith knows. And one of the questions that I asked Pastor Keith in my membership interview is, how do, how do you know so much of the Bible? Is it, is it because you went to seminary? And he said no. And this answer has stuck with me for the past 15 years. It's the daily diet of reading the word. His spiritual disciplines is what has shaped Pastor Keith. And since that time, I just thought, I've got to read the Bible every day. I've got to read through the Bible. At that point, 22-year-old Brandon had not ever read the entire Bible. And so in my personal disciplines, that became a, a, a practice for me. Spiritual disciplines, reading, prayer. Some of you will journal. Some of you will meditate. Some of you will do Bible memory. But some of the people on staff said, one of the things that helped me to grow maturity was my own spiritual disciplines. Other people mentioned meaningful relationships. People in their lives who modeled for them what it meant to be a Christian. If you believe that sometimes it's more about what is caught than what is taught, it means that you might think that meaningful relationships are a bigger influence of you becoming mature. And so people mentioned mentors, mentioned friends, mentioned people who had the audacity and the courage to come up to them and say, I think you're wrong, called them to repentance, who confided and prayed for them. People mentioned one of the things that helped them to grow in maturity is the meaningful relationships they had. Other people mentioned personal ministry. That the biggest influence in helping them grow to maturity was the fact that they didn't know how much they didn't know until they actually had to start teaching. And once they started teaching, they started to realize, oh man, I need to know more of the Bible. They didn't understand how angry of a person they were, how impatient they were, or how proud they were until they actually started to get around other believers and serve them. And so, during that time of serving mission trips, volunteering with youth ministry, they said that one of the ways that God has helped me grow to maturity is by personally ministering to others. Now, the fifth one's unique. Um, difficult time. They they referred back to certain seasons of their life where they had a, a, a crazy growth spurt, and oftentimes these growth spurts were related to certain times when they went through deep waters. went went through a season of drought, suffering, sickness, heartache, relational pain, emotional pain. And they said it was during those seasons, those difficult times where they felt the grace of God in unique and profound ways and their faith grew deep even in times of drought. And so the question is, how can we make disciples who make disciples knowing that this is how a lot of people grow in their faith, we want to create a keystone opportunities for people to hear biblical teaching. We want to provide you with resources for spiritual disciplines. Create environments where you can form meaningful relationships. Provide opportunities for you to do personal ministry. I say the fifth one's unique. We're not going to start a ministry where we make life difficult for you. Though it might be fruitful. That as you go through these deep waters, we know God is at work in your heart. What we will do is we'll come alongside you. Side by side, we'll walk together with you through these difficult times. These are the kinds of things that Keystone staff is committed to to help us grow in maturity, and we'll do this uh, until we become united in faith, united in the knowledge of God's Son, and mature in the Lord. More and more and more like Christ. So, the last section of this message, the results. We'll do this until we reach maturity. Now, Paul uses the language of, and kind of uses both. He's going to phrase it in a negative sense, and he's going to phrase it in a positive sense. But the goal for us is a healthy, mature church. And he says, we will no longer be immature like children. Rather, or drop down, we will speak the truth in love growing up in every way to be more like Christ. At Keystone, we don't want to be immature like children. Rather, we want to grow up to be more like Christ. Now, that language of, of children and growing up is a helpful analogy for me. There's a book written by Jim Putnam. I've got it right here. It's called Real Discipleship. In this book, uh, he uses this metaphor of children and children growing up to maturity to describe certain stages uh, of people growing in maturity. He puts together a a little um, graph that looks like this. He lists off four different stages that people in the church might find themselves in. A church might find infants, it might find children, it might find young adults, it might find parents, all of varying degrees of maturity. And he says one of the marks of an infant, someone who's relatively new to their faith, is that their life in some ways, regarding their spirituality, is marked by ignorance. At some point they'll grow out of their ignorance and they might move into their childhood marks. Children, if you have any, you know this, are self-centered. It's tough for them to think outside of their fingertips. And he says it's the same thing true spiritually. There are spiritual children who are self-centered. And our goal is to no longer be children, but to grow up in maturity. And so to go from self-centered to other centered is a step of growth from children to young adults. Parents are maturing beyond even just other centered to think holistically, to think intentionally, to think in a mission-minded way. In his book, he lists off dozens of phrases that you might hear from these different stages. These phrases to him are ways that we can identify where we might be at in our own spiritual journey. And so he says, if you find in yourself saying things like, being alone in nature is my church. Jim says, that's something that you might hear an infant say. Someone who's immature in their faith. If you hear someone say, I didn't get anything out of worship today. That's a phrase that you might hear from someone who's still very self-centered about their faith. If you hear someone yourself asking, what, what resources um, do you have or can you suggest that would help me to raise my kids? That's an attitude that's starting to realize, I'm, I'm a disciple maker and I, I have a responsibility to not just me become holy, but to help others grow in faith. How can I invest more time into making disciples might be something that uh, a parent might say. Now, the, the journey from infant to adulthood in some ways is a journey of maturity so that we can reproduce. The parents are reproducing. They are making more babies. Now, this is not to say that the church should not have infants in it not have children in it, not have young adults in it. The church is going to have everyone in it. If it's a healthy church, why? Because each parent is going to give birth to new infants who are ignorant, and those ignorant children are going to grow up a little bit and become very self-centered and needy. Have you ever walked into someone's house who has kids and you maybe catch them? Before, they've had a chance to clean up. They weren't expecting your company. You walk in. There are toys everywhere. I mean, moms are just trying to maintain the chaos. Maybe you're a super mom and everything's always organized. But my friends, I walk into their homes. I know they have kids. It is a mess in there. It's okay if the church is messy. Because for a healthy church, we're going to have infants and children in it. Now, when it comes to spiritual growth, it's not necessarily related to age. You can have a 50-year-old child in a church. Someone who's old, but in their faith, very young. And you can have the opposite. You can have a 15-year-old who's very mature in the Lord. And it doesn't necessarily matter how long you've been a Christian either. You can have a Christian who's been a Christian for 20 years and still be a child, kind of Peter Pan of the spiritual world, never growing up. As a church, it's okay if you are an infant and a child. I'm not saying you don't belong here. What I'm saying is that our goal is to help you grow to maturity. And the results, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. As a church, we want every part to do its part to grow in maturity. Every part doing its part. There's a a book that um, some of our small groups are reading written by Ed Welch, uh, Caring for One Another. Uh, This section I think is so helpful for us. If your small group is doing it, I'd encourage you to slow down Um, and take seriously what uh, the author is calling us to be as a church. He says this, our calling is to care for each other's souls. We want to bring our struggles to the Lord and to each other so that the church can be strengthened and the world can witness wisdom and love. But since we have a long list of our own problems, we could easily think that care for others is best left to those who are more qualified but the kingdom of God operates in ways that we might not expect. Here, the humble and weak are the ones who do the heavy lifting of pastoral care. Shepherds and teachers do the work of ministry. They also train us to do the work of ministry. Apparently, the Lord is pleased to use ordinary people through seemingly ordinary acts of love to be the prime contributors to the maturing of his people. If you have trusted in Jesus rather than yourself and you feel weak and unqualified, then you are qualified. Then you are called. The goal of this book, these eight lessons, is to further shape the culture of your church so that counseling and mutual care of souls become the natural features of the body's everyday life. As a church, we want to be healthy. We want to be strong. We want to be mature. We want to be united. We want to be one that's marked by love. We can't do that until we're all doing this together. And so I have some next steps that we might be able to take. First next step, some of you might need to do this. Others already have a group of people that you you would say that you're working together with. But I would say some people might need to find some teammates. And I'm encouraging you to do that because I believe that disciple making is a relational process. That if you want to grow in faith, take seriously the call for you to live a life worthy of the gospel and grow in maturity, you ought to find some others who are like-minded and want to do the same thing. Find some teammates. Does not have to be a formal type relationship. You don't have to sign up for Men of Iron, although I would say that's one good way to do it. You don't have to be a part of our kids' ministry or youth ministry or attend Keystone seminars or an events or an ABF. You don't have to do that. You can find teammates. Just you find someone who you say, I'm serious about growing in my faith. Can we do this together? Now, Keystone, we want to provide opportunities for you to develop meaningful relationships, and so we have um, certain events and certain ministries that we do um, to those ends. And so, if you visit keystonechurch.org/ministries, you can find a whole bevy of um, ministries: children, youth, young adults, men, women. Now, I'll give you a hint, if you or a tip, if you go to the website and you're thinking, "And hey, I don't see a, a men's ministry tab or a women's ministry tab." Uh, they would fall underneath the events categories. Right now, we don't have someone who has expressed the capacity and the desire to lead the men's ministry or the women's ministry. We've got people who are uh, committed and excited about doing individual events. That's why they fall underneath the events category. Um, But if you're thinking, I feel like God might be calling me to lead in a particular way, I'd invite you, after the service, come up and talk to me about leading the men's ministry or women's ministry. First step might be find some teammates. Second step, get in the game. Church is not a spectator sport where you, well, I know that some do, but that's not the way that God intended it to be, where you come and sit and watch someone else do ministry, to watch someone else sing songs in worship. No, you ought to be a participant. You ought to be serving you ought to be doing the work of ministry because God has called you and because every disciple is a disciple maker. At Keystone, there are lots of ways that you can serve. If you go to keystonechurch.org slash serve, you can learn about production, you can learn about guest services, you can learn about uh, our youth ministry or our kids ministry. Um, eventually, you're going to hear about a new ministry that's starting up here in the fall uh, directed towards kids and families with special needs. And we'll be looking for people who have the unique skill set, the special desire, the passion, the gift to be able to serve Keystone's people in that way. Now you don't have to just serve at Keystone. You can serve in our community. If you go to that same website, you'll see um, certain local partners like the factory or like Water Street or like Lancaster Prison. Get in the game at Keystone. Get in the game somewhere else. Once you realize that every part of your life is God's and you are to be making disciples wherever you go, you'll realize that getting in the game might be getting in the game at home. And you begin to take seriously your role as a disciple maker at home. Or take seriously your role as a disciple maker at work. I was at a conference this week, um, Work as Worship, directed towards helping people to grasp that God has wired us to do his work not just Sundays at Keystone, but all week long. And one of the lines that stood out to me was this. He said, not everyone has a pastor, but a lot of people have a boss. And I'll extend that and say, not everyone has a church, but everyone's got a friend or a coworker. And so getting in the game might not be, I got to find a way to serve at Keystone. Getting in the game might be changing your mindset and your attitude about how you can use your life for the advancement of the gospel. Third step that you might need to take. (laughs) is to play the long game. Play the long game. What do I mean by that? I I feel like, in some ways, some of the things that would keep us from serving would be like, I don't know that I can. I look at what Ebeth does, or what Micah does. I think, I can't do that. And I want to say, I understand that pain. I look at ministry of tim keller and i'll watch a panel q a with him and i think he's so smart (laughs) like he's so insightful and as as somebody asks him a question like he's he's articulate and he can think of words and i think i could never do that let me help you see that playing the long game because discipleship takes time means that sometimes it's going to take time before you become proficient in something. Because what I'm seeing of Tim Keller is the 40-year-old version or the, four, the 40-year ministry version of Tim Keller. Tim Keller's been answering questions like that for longer than I've been born. I would love to see Tim Keller answer the questions as a 22-year-old. I'm guessing he wasn't as articulate. I'm guessing there were times that he left that interview and he's like, whew, uh, I did not handle that well. Or I I know what I should have said. And as he grows and as he takes time and answers the same questions, doing the same kind of ministry work over and over and over, he improves. And so play the long game. Discipleship takes time. Other people might be thinking, well, I don't know if I'm actually making a difference. I am serving. I'm in the game, Brandon, but I don't see any fruit of what I'm doing. And I want to say, play the long game because discipleship takes time. One of the things that Jeff Reed said last week was that discipleship does not happen from the stage. We can't have some event. We can't bring life action in for a week even and expect it to solve all problems. We need a daily, consistent diet of God's word. We need daily, consistent presence of friends. We need daily, consistent care from one another. And over time, we will grow and we'll see fruit. I'll take you back to this picture. Now, what's fun about this picture is, okay, I'm in the corner and say, oh, there he is. There's Brandon, high school senior Brandon. But there's some other people in this picture that you might want to pay attention to. Here's Lindsay Martin. Lindsay Martin's now married. Uh, She's got four kids, I think, maybe five, I don't know. And she and her husband are leading a care group at Keystone Church. Who else is in here? There's Jenna. Jenna is on staff with us. She's been serving uh, with her husband in youth ministry and kids ministry um, for the past 15, 20 years. Next to her, I don't know if you recognize, that's Michelle uh, Robinson. You don't probably get to see Michelle Robinson very often because she's over in the Czech Republic with her husband. She's one of our supported missionaries who after she graduated high school, went off to missionary school and then uh, went into ministry. You might see, uh, well, Jeremy's, Jeremy's still in there. Jeremy's the one guy who brought men of iron to Keystone. You also see Josh Bear, Oh, right there. Josh Bear. He's currently downstairs, I think, leading a Sunday school class. He's also one of our elders. 20 years ago, this picture was taken. Some of you made investments in Brandon and Lindsay and Jenna and Michelle and Jeremy and other people on this list. And you might now just be seeing fruit that they have become disciples who are making disciples. Here's a picture from 2007 because that high school senior became youth pastor. And there he is. And then he had his own group of people. Can you? It's tough to recognize seventh graders, but there's seventh grade Ebeth before she was on staff at the factory. There's seventh grade Brooke, uh, I was going to say Ash, Brooke Lance, before she became on staff as our children's director. There's uh, Desmond Pfeiffer uh, right there, before he uh, joined uh, the mission field and is one of Keystone's missionaries. Yeah, Josh Bear is still there. Um, <laughs> he's been in the game a while. But I can tell you, it's the ministry of people like a Kirsten Hess, who would have spent seven years with an EBETH making disciples who make disciples. Keystone can become a church where the next generation is firmly rooted in the word of God and does not turn away to cultural tides or pressures. Keystone can become a church where its men and women find their deepest joy and deepest meaning by giving their lives in the advancement of the gospel in the local church. Keystone can become a place where our men and our women Model in marriages to the next generation what a faithful covenant relationship looks like even when it's difficult. Keystone become a place where we end up sending our own missionaries to unreached people groups who are planting churches around the world. Keystone Church can be that place where we end up representing to our community that the church really can be the dearest place on earth because we're caring for one another. But it's going to take every part of us, each doing his part, to help us make disciples who make disciples. Let me pray for us. Father, we we can't do that, though, on our own. We need your help in a thousand ways. And Lord, I pray that you would give us that vision, that capacity, that hope, that encouragement, that we might be able to see uh, in the next generation in 20 years from now a church that's healthy, a church that's growing, a church that's mature. And I ask that help in Jesus' name. Amen.